such as a Ned Kelly beard or Kelly country. Most people know the phrase such as life reportedly said to be his last words. He was the subject of Australia's first feature film, The Story of the Kelly Gang in 1906. And then of course, there was the Mick Jagger, John Jarrett, and then the Heath Ledger versions. All of them feature the iconic armor now on display in Melbourne City Library, where you can see the bullet potholes for yourself. But Ned Kelly, the man, was he a man on a mission uh, against a corrupt system or just a common criminal or murderer? Or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? So today we have joining us a very good panel of people to discuss these things. Bargy, welcome. How are you going? Yeah, really good, thanks, Sid. Living the dream. A topic you've always wanted to get your teeth into? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interest. As you know, I like a bit of history here and there. Mm-hmm. And it's also quite a polarising piece of history, which is what makes it so attractive and also worthwhile discussing. I certainly agree with you. It does polarise people. There's very little doubt about that one. Look forward to some of your thoughts. Morty, can't help noticing your backdrop there. That's off Anne Jones's in or what's left of it after the fire. How are you going? Yeah, yeah good, thanks. It's... Uh... Good to read um, a little bit of a history and refresher on what we learned in school and maybe pick up more of the political undertones of what was happening at the, ta- at the time, yeah. Was there one little tidbit that you picked up that was different now compared to learning at school? <sighs> I think understanding that he had a rough rough go when he was 14 mm-hmm. and he was very much on the police's radar and suspected of stuff. So I don't know if the family was a bunch of rat bags, but uh, certainly most of the Kelly people I meet now like to refer to them as a bunch of rat bags. <laughs> certainly a horse thief is one thing that we can say about the Kellys, that's for sure. Yeah, not Ned, though. Apparently that was his brother. Uh, we'll actually get into that a bit later on. That's a very valid point. Good. Also, we have Etty. How are you going? Hello, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm very well, and I'm looking forward to some of your insights uh, about Ned Kelly. What's drawn you to the topic? Yeah, well, it's interesting just, you know, reading up and refreshing. I'm surprised how much I actually knew, but I don't really remember learning about it at school. I think it's just all in our, you know, Australian folklore that we just know these stories. So whether you agree or disagree, I think we'll discuss that. Be interesting. Was there something that this time around when you're researching that really surprised you or stood out? I think probably just how young he was, really. Yeah. Um, and how it all just ended so abruptly. Most historians usually say that he was 25 when he died. And there seemed to be a hell of a lot packed into that life in 25 years. Yeah, absolutely. I think he sort of grew up a lot quicker as well. 
you know, a 25-year-old now is only just considered grown up, whereas at the time, you know, the hardships and everything, you you had to grow up a lot sooner. Yeah, it's interesting with some of the research I did, that was one of the things I came up with, like everybody was growing up a lot faster. It was surprising that Ned Kelly's mum lived to the ripe old age of 90 despite all the hardships. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So welcome, Eddie. And we have one of our resident historic history buffs, sorry, pardon me. So, Princess, I understand that you've studied everything from the pharaohs to medieval times to Napoleon to Stalin, and you've even studied the British royal family. Have I summarised things nicely there for you? Oh, Sid, you're so kind and so generous in what you say. Yes, I have studied various aspects of history, but maybe not quite as much as you think I have. Hello, everybody, and I'm looking forward to joining in tonight. Was there something in your research? Because I don't believe you did zero research. I did not do zero research, but <laughs> I did not do an awful lot. So um, just about no, seven, or eight, seven say, or eight hours? Not even that. Maybe oh. half an hour. I'll save it for, I agree with Etty that the story of the Kelly gang in one form or another is part of the Australian folklore and it's, we sort of know it by um, osmosis almost and it's only when you start to read about it that you start to discern fact from fiction. Yeah, tonight's going to be a very interesting discussion. Let's go. I look forward to it. Baji, I realise I probably didn't ask you the same question. Was there something that stood out for you, like one little tidbit that you thought, now that's really interesting now looking at it again? Not sort of going back and looking at it again, but for me probably the most interesting thing, uh, and we'll get into this a bit later on, is the return of an artefact. I think I know what you're referring to, and it tells the time. Is that what you're referring to? Correct. Oh, I've, I've read the same thing. Uh, we'll come to that. I can see already we're going to get a diversity of views because this is very nuanced. But let's start off with a little bit of a timeline of events and then I'll be very interested to dig deeper. Ned Kelly was born in 1854 in Beveridge, Victoria. There's no known birth certificate, but it does seem like most people agree he was born in December of that year. His father was a transported convict who was granted freedom from Van Diemen's land and then moved to Victoria. At age 11, he received a sash for bravery for saving a boy from drowning. As a teenager, he served two stints in jail, the longest between 1871 and 1874 for horse theft. He was also arrested for being an associate of Harry Power. Some people regard him as Ned's mentor. Uh, known to have committed several robberies. Interestingly, the police never charged him because they always thought that Power's accomplice was a half-caste. And a lot of people thought this was because Ned was living so rough, he was dirty and looked half-caste. It's also been said that Power used to actually stay on Ned Kelly's grandmother's property. Ned also took up boxing to make ends meet. A figure that becomes very well known later on is Constable Lonigan. When he was locked up overnight for public drunkenness and then he escaped and Lonigan is known to actually give Kelly a squirrel grip to try to subdue him. In 1878, Constable Fitzpatrick 
went to Kelly's house to arrest Dan Kelly for uh, horse thievery. What is known is that an altercation did occur and Fitzpatrick had a bullet uh, wound in his wrist. He claimed that Ned did it. This chain of events led to Ned becoming a bushranger. There was a trial which included Ned's mother receiving three years as well. From that incident, because Ned believed he would not be believed in his version of events saying he wasn't there, that Ned, his brother Dan, Joe Byrne and Steve Hart went into hiding. The next event is Stringy Bark Creek. Stringy Bark Creek involves a shootout involving the Kelly gang and four officers. What we do know is that three officers were shot dead. That was Lonigan, Kennedy and Scanlon. Only McIntyre survived. The question that's often asked is, what were the police doing there? And I think that will be a conversation for later. In December 1878, they were at Euroa, but one of the things they did do was rob a bank. Geraldry is probably one of their more famous ones because not only did they rob a bank and they burnt mortgage papers, it's also famous for the Geraldry letter, which includes phrases such as this description of the police, a parcel of big, ugly, fat-necked, wombat-headed, big-bellied, magpie-legged, narrow-hipped, splaw-footed sons of Irish bailiffs or English landlords. And very ominously, the letter is finished this way. I am a widow's son outlawed, and my orders must be obeyed. That letter, that geraldry letter, anyone can find online. Glen Rowan, sometimes referred to as the final showdown, occurred in June 1880. It started off, most people believe, when Aaron Skerritt was shot as a technique of drawing in the police to the Glen Rowan area. The Kelly gang is known to have sabotaged the railway line and tried to get the police who were coming in to actually crash. Uh, that did not eventuate. There was also a shootout at Ann Jones's pub. Three gang members died. Ned was tried and then hanged in November of that year. What do you believe actually happened when Fitzpatrick went to the Kelly house? Because I've heard and read numerous accounts on this one and you're getting slightly different stories. I think the one thing I'm convinced about is that he went there drunk. Even the doctor treating him said he smelt of alcohol. So that to me is an independent source. So he's a drunk police officer going there ostensibly to uh, arrest Dan Kelly, but something went down there. I don't know, what are your thoughts? What really happened? According to his version, Mm -hmm. he was aware that there was a warrant for Dan Kelly out at the time. Yeah. Um, He was actually in the middle of being transferred into Greta and he was basically looking at picking up Dan Kelly on his way through because he had apparently discussed it with the sergeant at Benalla Station, which is where he was coming from. At the time, the sergeant agreed that, yes, it's probably a good idea, kill two birds with one stone on what you're going past. I've read that too. Pick him up on your way through. Mm. They weren't actually expecting Dan to put up any sort of a, a resistance or anything like that. And at that at that time, there wasn't a lot of resistance to any sort of uh, constabulary turning up 
to pick people up. It was a case, yeah, right, oh, fair cop, you've got me. They'd go and do their time and then they'd get out. The whole thing about whether Fitzpatrick was three sheets to the wind before he got there, <laughs> whether whether he was a little bit intimidated going to the Kellys because they did have a bit of a name for themselves by that stage mm-hmm. um, as being a little bit recalcitrant and him turning up there by himself could be anyone's guess. At the end of the day, his version was the one that got accepted. Mm. Uh, and then sort of led to further activities. I do believe he was very drunk, and I think a lot of Dutch courage that if you're going to people who are wanted, why only go by yourself? And that to me just sounded like very, very poor judgment, which makes me think he was drunk. Wasn't Fitzpatrick romantically involved with one of Ned's female rel- relatives. I've, there's a rumour he tried to crack on to Ned's sister. Yeah, And that's yeah. what I they can't took offence to. Hmm. Yeah, and he was all full of bravado until Ned turned up or it, it somehow went pear-shaped and Fitzpatrick got shot through the wrist. And, you know, the only people who know what happened are the people who were there. The rest, everyone else, it's all to conjecture. So smacks to me, from what little I know, of personal relations rather than a policeman just doing their job. But who knows? The only people who truly know are the ones that were there. Yeah, well, according to his version, he Dan wasn't home when he turned up, so he remained mm. there with Ned and Dan's mother and their other family members there for about an hour, apparently. Mm -hmm. Then he apparently heard somebody chopping some wood uh, and he went to ensure that the chopping was licensed. Now, I probably think that's a little bit of a long bow to draw. I was thinking exactly the same. he, he, He was there for one purpose, which was to pick up Dan, not to enforce any sort of wood-chopping regulations. Having said that, I think we've all come across over-exuberant enforcement officers in our lives where they may take the opportunity where they, they happen to be in a location and notice something else, try and get whatever they can on the individuals. Apparently there were... Once again, according to Fitzpatrick's version, he observed two horsemen making towards the house that he'd left. They turned out to be Dan and Bill Skillion, who was his brother-in-law. Fitzpatrick returned to the house, made the arrest. Dan apparently asked to be allowed to have dinner before leaving, to which Fitzpatrick said, yep, no worries, and he stood there while he ate his dinner, allegedly. Then... Uh, Ned rushed in apparently and shot him in the left arm two inches above the wrist with a revolver. At the same time, uh, Ned's mother, Ellen, attacked him, hitting him over the head with a fire shovel and knocking him senseless. At that stage, Fitzpatrick stated that everyone except Kelly's mother had been armed with revolvers, and this is where his version starts to fall over a little bit. He's just taken... 
He's just taken Dan into custody, but he left him with a revolver. So that's probably a little bit squirrely. Part um, of cover is us, that you can pick yeah, up, that up. Yeah. That Ned had shot him in the left wrist and Ellen Kelly had hit him on the helmet with a coal shovel. Apparently, they didn't then do anything else to him. He regained consciousness. Ned compelled him to remove the bullet from his own arm with a knife so it couldn't be used as evidence. Call me crazy, call me wild. I don't think there was too much CSI back in those days. <laughs> I was just going to say, he didn't police his own brass then. <laughs> no, well, if, if it was a revolver and at that period of time it would have been a cap and ball revolver, there was no brass because the chamber itself formed the, the cartridge, if you, if you like, and all that there would have been would have been a lead ball, the powder charge underneath said lead ball and the percussion cap that sat on the nipple at the back of the um, chamber. So given that he's been knocked out unconscious, then regained consciousness and Ned has said, yeah, dig that out because there's no other 36 calibre Colt Navy revolver balls around in the country that may link me to this particular crime, and then let him live as a witness eyewitness to yeah. attempted murder, which essentially would have lined him up for the same punishment as murder, particularly of an officer of the law. So in all honesty, I think there's too many holes in Fitzpatrick's version I wouldn't be surprised if Fitzpatrick shot himself. I've read things that say something very similar. In all honesty, I find it quite believable that given the time that, yes, he would have allowed Dan Kelly to, if, if he didn't perceive him as a threat. Now, keep in mind, Dan and Ned were teenagers at this stage. Hmm. And it was just, right, I'm going to lob up, I'm going to put the bracelets on you and you're going to come with me. And to that point, really apart from a bit of uh, less than violent crime, the Kellys weren't really known to pull on the, the constabulary when cornered. So I think there, there's too many holes in Fitzpatrick's version. At some stage, yes, he got shot, whether that was Ned, Dan, the boy's mother their brother-in-law or Fitzpatrick himself. There's only a number of people that can answer that question and none of them are around anymore. But there's just too many holes in that. You know, I, I would have thought that uh, once he's dug the bullet out that he then wouldn't be in a fit state to be able to then get out of the house without one of them grabbing him then him getting unimpeded to his horse and then being able to get from his horse over to, I think it was the Winton Hotel that he turned up at and was actually offered a brandy and lemonade. Now, which, of course, he refused because he was on duty. Of course. I mean, when you're yes. on duty, you've got to act properly. But apparently later on when his arm was giving him a bit of uh, trouble, he did accept one drink. Then there was a, a bit of narrative around a, uh, an apparent promise that he had made to them that he wasn't going to make any report against them. 
And he then decided that if that promise had in fact occurred, that it was no longer binding and that he would have to uh, report it to his superior officer, obviously, because you've got a hole in your arm and you're probably mm. not fit for duty for a while. You're probably going to have to explain it. And when he reached Benalla, actually the hotel manager apparently, and this is where his statement actually gets corroborated but doesn't have so many fanciful Leaps of faith, I guess. Le- le- leaps of faith or uh, things like that in it. Uh, the hotel manager, uh, and his name escapes me at the moment, apparently rode with him from Winton through to Benalla to make sure that he got there. It's surprising when you apply that kind of logic and deconstruct it, why anyone went down. Yeah. Um, having said that, the other thing too that you've got to, sort of keep in mind historically our constabulary uh particularly in those periods of time were also drawn from the same population that all of the criminals were uh a number of the local constabulary in that area were also of irish descent and there's also this very big feeling of belonging if you're irish and you know you don't sort of uh arrest your mates and They'll throw you a, a back scratch here and there if you uh, look look the other way on the occasion. And that was rife because these were really, really hard times. People were eking out a living on, you know, basically what they could grow, what they could raise in the way of livestock, what they could earn if go and dig some yellow stuff out of the ground and all, all these sorts of things. The only ones that really were established were your railway townships, purely because of the, the transit of uh, people and supplies, and the, the merchants that were associated with those railway townships. Of course, the banks, given at the time that the majority of the wealth was locked up by the squatters, and the land was locked up as well. So the general population were doing it pretty damn tough. Mm. And if they could get the local constable to look the other way while they went and perhaps helped themselves to their neighbour's cattle or something like that, that was fairly common because your next-door neighbour's beef always tastes better than your own. (laughs) Grass is always greener. Bargy, there's something that Morty wrote up about this uh you said ned said in the end that he was there could you tell us about that yeah i'm just grabbing the um the reference that i had it was a pdf from nedkelly.info apparently there's a corroborating story at the end where he's being re-interviewed by fitzpatrick in the presence of ryan and basically they ask him if he was involved and what was going on and if the if Fitzpatrick's statement was correct, uh, Ned's apparently said, yes, I shot him. <laughs> so that's what's in this this uh, reference from nedkelly.info. But, yeah, we've got stories from all over the place, haven't we? It must be hard to get to what actually happened and who's protecting who at the time. Exactly. There was, there was an account that I read about a couple of days before he was executed where he did 
state again that he was not there. Certainly from a personal point of view, he had nothing to lose, but I wonder if that was almost from a way of trying to protect his family. And I wonder yeah. what could it be from that point of view. So I could see both sides of the coin there. Yep. Yeah. Oh, look, the, the other thing too that you you sort of have to temper with, and this is something that we've all got to sort of recognise, is regardless of which side of, you know, Ned, Ned Kelly, some of the practices on both sides, they're always going to lessen their... Uh, involvement in anything in relation to wrongdoing or anything like that. Now, where you've got, after Ned was uh, arrested and and then they re-interviewed him, whilst I've got some fairly strong views about Ned, anything that's documented from those interviews mm. as... I, I look at them with a little bit of a jaundiced eye. You've all heard the term verbal? Oh, yes. And ver verbaling a suspect? He could have been under all sorts of duress. He could have, as you pointed out, Sid, they referred to it as the Ways and Means Act. If you want to tie up a particular case, which at this time they probably had quite a number of different cases that were outstanding, they'd turn around, verbal at one, one of the local scoundrels, He'd go and do his time, come back all nice and quiet, and we'd all move on. Whether or not he was actually guilty of that offence or actually committed that offence, that didn't really come into it. Because keep in mind, in a lot of these settlements, the police were outnumbered by hundreds to one. Yeah. And, and in fact, the Greta police station could not be left without somebody there to protect it. Mm-hmm. Because it would get raided, it would get sacked, it would get burnt down and those sorts of things. And that was that apparently was the reason why Fitzpatrick was actually being posted there, was at the time there was only one other officer there, so he could never leave. You know, at the end of the day, they had to try and cause a bit of fear so that people wouldn't cross the line because they knew as soon as one person crossed the line, they would have lost it and they would never have been able to get out of a, any situation that they were in. This concludes part one of our Ned Kelly exploration. Join us next week for part two. If you'd like to contact us, feel free to drop us an email at podnoname at gmail.com or you can get us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podnoname.